Warriors for Christ's Kingdom show the world how an overcomer lives in victory. This is Dennis Peterson, and thanks for joining me today on Reclaiming Your Legacy. The Apostle John wrote in his first letter to the believers of the early church in John, 1 John 2:14, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. I find it interesting that the Apostle John speaks specifically to fathers, apparently because of their long time of knowing the Lord and walking with the Lord and experiencing the wisdom and guidance of the Lord in their whole lifetime, but also how John mentions young men, and he mentions specifically because they're strong, that the word of God abides in them, and they have overcome the wicked one. Now, what does he mean by overcoming the wicked one? Daniel, in chapter 11, verse 32, gives us a little help, where it says, Those who do wickedly against the covenant he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. So here we see something about strength in God, and those who know God, and those people being able to do great exploits, which would certainly be overcoming, wouldn't it? In 1 John chapter 4, it says in verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, John writes, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Here, we're seeing a collaboration between the Lamb of God, the Lord, the King of kings, and those who are called, called to be with him, chosen, those who are faithful. Now, in all of this, we're seeing a connection between the heart of God, the overcoming ability of those who are following the heart of God, and God's desire to do something with them. Obviously, like Daniel says, to be strong and to do exploits. In John chapter 16, verse 33, John says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, this seems almost paradoxical, doesn't it? God has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world, but have I overcome the world? Well, again, if we are in him, and this is throughout Scripture, where we realize that our position with Christ is being able to walk in him so that we rely on his righteousness, on his strength, on his ability to overcome even the tribulations that we go through. That may not mean that we're delivered all the way out of them or from them altogether, but it means that we can go through them with him and be an overcomer. This is obviously a paradox, but it also is helping us to realize that there is great comfort in knowing that we can even be of good cheer, knowing that Jesus has overcome the tribulations that we often will have to go through. In Romans chapter 12, verse 21, the Apostle Paul says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Overcome evil with good. All these verses we're seeing about overcoming, it helps us to realize that to be an overcomer is in many ways like being a warrior. A warrior is determined to fight even to the death no matter what. I like the fact that God is now showing us that he's answering many of our prayers over recent years to raise up warriors in our generation. One such warrior that I've recently enjoyed getting a little bit of knowledge about and seeing some of his presentations is a congressman by the name of Madison Cawthorn. He is a young overcomer from North Carolina, and he is obviously a man who God is enabling to show our nation what a godly warrior acts like. He's someone that we all need to know, know about, and pray for. In a short video excerpt from a recent Faith and Freedom Convention in 2021, a video shows Madison Cawthorn describing how he looks Nancy Pelosi in the eye and sees her hatred of America. I'd like to share with you a portion of that presentation, and I think you're going to find it very encouraging and truly a reason for us to have hope for the next generation. Elliot, when you're in Washington, D.C., the people are just different. I mean, the, the, their ambitions are different. The way they talk is different. The way they walk is different. And, and then I get out of Washington, and, you know, I'm basically derided and spit upon. They hate me. And normally when I fly back home, I'll go, I'll go to Cracker Barrel. All of you from Western North Carolina know my tradition. I'll go to Cracker Barrel, and I'll get around just normal Americans again. And people will come up and shake my hand and say, thank you for fighting for us. Thank you for saving the next generation. It, 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 from all across the board, all walks of life. And then I realize, being in Washington, D.C., taking all of the arrows from the socialists, from the atheists, from the people who want to destroy our country and our national identity, being loved in the rest of America is the greatest honor of my life. Because I'll tell you, for far too long, we have been electing people, and you can imagine, they're the cookie-cutter politician. You know, they've got pleated pants and tasseled loafers, and they would just hate to hear the idea of their name in a local newspaper that said anything negative about them. And so when the liberal media says, oh, well, they're considering passing this bill that's going to make people show voter ID, and then also, oh, well, we can't do that. The media will destroy us. And these people get elected, and they're trying to make friends in Washington. They're trying to get the socialists and the leftists and the globalists to love them and to like them. And they say, well, you know, maybe if I just give up this liberty, maybe if I just give up this idea, then people will accept me and they'll love me. My message to them is, one, you should have never ran to be in Washington, D.C. Because no matter what you give up, no matter what we capitulate upon, no matter how many times we bend the knee, the left will never like us and they will never cheer us. And so that is why I think it is time that we start electing new patriots. And I think we did this last election in 2020. We start electing new patriots who are unafraid of seeing their name and attack ad, who are unafraid of being spit upon by people who hate this nation. But my question is, you know, where do these people come from? And I get the question often, you know, how, how, were, you, how were you able to stand up and, and be so unafraid to fight these people? And, and my answer is, you know, looking Nancy Pelosi in her eye every single day at work and, and seeing how much she hates this nation. 
people would say, man, that must be the hardest thing in the world to confront that kind of evil, to confront people who, who you know, would destroy all of our liberties, make our, make our children wear masks from ages 2 to 12 years old. Because really, think about this. I mean, really think about this. The current CDC guideline is that if you're not fully vaccinated, you need to wear a mask at all times. But the, also the current CDC guideline is that if you're over the age of two, you need to start wearing a mask if you're not fully vaccinated. But you can't get fully vaccinated until you're 12 years old. So I'll tell you, these people's logic is that during the most formative years of our children's life, they need to be masked and muzzled the entire time. And so when I look Nancy Pelosi in the eye, and I know that that is what she intends for our children for the next generation, people say, man, that must be the hardest thing in the world you've ever gone through. Looking against that and opposing that vision of our country is the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. Because I'll tell you, you know, I, I believe God prepares us for the battles that we're going to face. I believe God never calls us to something that we can't handle. Uh, actually, I will go back. I do believe God sometimes calls us to things that we cannot handle. Because we can't handle them without him. So, seven and a half years ago, I, I was in a terrible car accident. I, I was 18 years old. I had the best family in the world. I still have the best family in the world. I was just a, a, a good old southern mama's boy. I, I, I loved everything. I loved hunting. I loved being athletic. I, just, I, I had the whole world at my fingertips. I was about to graduate high school. Everything I ever wanted to accomplish was coming true. And I was just so thankful for the life I had. I had a charmed childhood. But then I was on spring break with one of my best friends, and I took a step into a car to head back home. I called my mom. We were going to be back for lasagna. It was going to be great. And we're heading back home, and I took a nap in the passenger seat. And when I fell asleep in that passenger seat, little did I know that when I stepped into that car, it would be the last step I ever took. Because the next thing I know, I woke up in a hospital. We were going about 70 miles an hour in a construction zone. We ran headlong into a concrete barricade. The fuel line was exposed from the friction. The car caught on fire. I was incredibly injured. My T12 vertebrae had a, a burst fracture. My kidney was ripped off. My, my diaphragm ruptured. I had, I had a traumatic brain injury. I had third degree burns all over my legs. Uh, I, and I woke up and I had been this athletic guy who had the whole world on my fingertips. But the next thing I knew, I, I couldn't even move. I couldn't even speak. My diaphragm was ruptured. I, I could barely think. And when I was going through that, after I, I started to come out of the ICU, I was there for several months. I went to the, a rehab center in Atlanta, incredible people. And I started working on recovering and trying to figure out what my life was going to be like. I then had some people come to me and they started talking to me about, you know, hey, well, let's, let's try and figure out how you can still do some of the activities that you'd want to do. I mean, you know, and... and they started saying, well, when you go hunting, you'll need a friend. You'll need, you can't go climb up in a tree anymore. And if you go kayaking, you know, there's a, there's the disability advice you can use. And they started explaining all these things, which are incredible improvements on the, the, the life of people in wheelchairs, the different assisted devices that I could use to, to live a somewhat normal life. But at that moment, I realized, aside from a miracle happening, I was most likely going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And at that moment, I considered, man, what, what is the point of going on? I, I, felt, I felt worthless. I was thankful that I was in a position in that hospital to be able to speak into the lives of, of my comrades, the people who were in, wow, I said comrades, I sound like a socialist. <laughs> but I, I, my, my fellow men and women who were in wheelchairs, people who I, I was able to speak into their life because I knew what they were going through. And so I was thankful for that opportunity. But as I you know, came out of the rehabilitation hospital, I started going back to my normal life. 
I started wondering, man, how am I going to, to live? And everything that was good that happened in my life, I always think in the back of my mind, yeah, this is fun, but imagine how much more fun if I was doing the same thing and I could walk. I wasn't in any pain. And I had complete independence. And so I, I will tell you, I was living as somewhat of a shell of myself. And I, I remember I had a, a very profound statement told to me by really my family. They just really made it clear that I, I was basically living a shell of a life. And that this is no way to live and I needed to make a decision of what I was going to do moving forward. And I'll tell you, I, I don't think this was their intention, but I, I, I genuinely started thinking about, man, well, should I even continue? Should I even start moving forward? And I made a T-graph, and you know, it had the pros and cons on one side, and this is literally, and I know this sounds gruesome and dark, but it was, it was if I should stay alive, if I should continue fighting and going through life as hard as it is, you know, at once I recovered and gained my independence back, would life really be fulfilling enough to be worth the pain I'm going through now? I started making that T-graph going down both sides. It was basically evenly matched. It took, it took several hours and days of me going through it. But the very last thing that tipped the scales for me is the fact that I still had the opportunity to make a difference. My mind was starting to recover. I could speak again. And as I started going through that moment, I, I realized looking out into the, into the world and, and seeing things, you know, I, I started gaining a lot of independence back. I started moving forward through life. Everything was going great. And yeah, my life is where, right where I wanted to be. I just started a, a real estate investment firm. I had just gotten engaged, me and my fiance. I just got married eight weeks ago, by the way. It's been... And everyone keeps saying marriage is hard, but so far it's only been the honeymoon. It's very easy. Uh, but so I'm talking to my, it's a very normal conversation when you get engaged. And I was talking to my, my now wife and we were talking about how many kids we want to have. When do we want to have them? You know, do, do we want to homeschool? Do we want to send them to public school? Although we would never do that. Uh, and you know, we're just having the very normal, this very normal conversation. And then that later that evening, I was out with my dog and I was sitting there. I was thinking, man, what would it be like to raise children in this kind of a culture? when they are being politicized from the time they come out of the womb, when they have to make a decision of if, if they feel like they're, I mean, just as Marco Rubio was talking about, if they're an oppressor or if they're a victim, when they're trying to force critical race theory upon them, to tell them, and, and let me tell you just a quick side thing, when we say we're against critical race theory, it's not enough just to say the three words. We need to tell people that critical race theory is wrong because it teaches people to be a victim and not a victor. And I will tell you, if I had believed that kind of logic when I went through my car accident, was coming through it, and decided that the circumstances that I had no control over and was thrust into that was going to define the rest of my life, I wouldn't be here anymore. But I was raised in a family where you were taught that your resilience means everything. How you respond to what happens to you means everything. And so when I started thinking about what was going on in the world, I realized, you know what, it, it is, I, I am no longer going to be one of these people who just sit on the sideline and say, oh, well, you know, culture's not like it used to be. We got to fix things. You know, I, I decided I was going to get in the fight. And at 24 years old, I, I prayed about it. My, my congressman went to be the, the chief of staff in the White House. And so I had this incredible opportunity to run for Congress in my district. And I started looking at the age requirements. And I said, wow, well, I'll turn 25 right before the election. So that works out. <laughs> and so I started thinking about it. And then when I, and I'll tell you, I prayed about it very quickly. I had to make the decision rather, rather rapidly. And I knew that God was calling me to something. And I realized that I, we had an opportunity to take this country back. Because I'll tell you, the reason why so many people in my generation, I see some young people over here, the reason why so many people in our generation believe 
that they can't be a conservative or they need to be some form of a socialist or something is because they've never met, seen conservatism presented to them by someone in their generation. Every single person they see in the news or anything that's in their generation is some kind of far-left socialist who believes in virtue signaling. But when I went through that car accident, when I was coming through it, I, I, I hearkened back to something we talk about all the time. And I was trying to make that decision to stay alive. I, I thought about what Mordecai said to Esther when she was to be married to King, King Xerxes. He said, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. And so when I look at it, everyone in here, I'm sure that all of us are saying that, that trite term, saying, oh, well, culture's not like what it used to be. And our country's not as great as it once was, as when the greatest generation was alive, when we defeated fascism, when we freed the slaves, when we cracked the codes, when we scaled the cliffs, when we defeated freedom all over the world. Our country's not as great as it was then. But my friends, when we start thinking about that we have to go up against this coronavirus nonsense, when we have to go up against Antifa, Black Lives Matter riots, when we have to go against millions of dollars being spent against our very beliefs, when we have to go against all of this and you realize, man, why is the world so hard? Why is it so difficult? I think that we should all be honored that God trusts each and every single one of us enough to stand up and fight against this. Because my friends, what's coming after us, it was coming after our next generation. They are trying to destroy our country. And when we have so many people that want to just sit on the sidelines, and say that we're not going to get involved, that we're not going to take the bull by the horns and take the fight to them. We are just capitulating. We are people who are wanting to sit down. When we have, when we have pastors in our churches and pulpits who are saying that they care more about tax-exempt status than they care about being a salt and light on this earth, I think we have a problem in the Christian church. And so when I see everybody in this room, when I see all of you here, I realize that you all believe what Mordecai said to his, his cousin Esther. That perhaps we were all born for such a time as this. That perhaps God put us on this earth to fight against socialism, to fight against the evils of this earth, of globalism, to fight for the next generation. And so I give you this charge. God has trusted you with this battle. All that we must do is go out and fight it. Because I believe he has given us more than we can handle on our own. But I believe, as every single story in the Bible represents, God is with us when we are on the front lines of battle. And my friends, the call of duty is coming now, and it's time for us to fight for our country. It's time for us to fight for the next generation. We were born for such a time as this, and I am honored to be among you. Thank you so much. Well, can there be any doubt that Madison really is a radiant example of a specific answer to my own prayers for years? He exemplifies a godly warrior, undaunted by the deceptive, threatening bravado of the anti-God, anti-morality, anti-America crowd. They're being dismantled by the overcoming truth of God being boldly proclaimed by servants like Madison, who are unshaken by the intentions of evil pawns being used by the devil. You know, watching Madison Cawthorn is really seeing a miracle, and it's playing out before our eyes. Against all odds, this young man, with the wisdom and courage of our founding fathers, saw his problem not as a problem, but as the motivation to a solution. God is so good to raise up this gentleman as living proof that as long as we have breath, we can change our circumstances with God. In a bold statement before Congress on July 29th for mask mandate in the House, Congressman Cawthorn declared to Nancy Pelosi, 
Madam Speaker, you are not God. <laughs> I want you to listen to this little one-minute clip. Without objection, the gentleman is recognized for one minute. Madam Speaker, you are not God. Your will does not bend the forest or shake the mountains. And let me assure you, your will does not bow the knee of millions of my countrymen who refuse to heed your callous command. To threaten arrest on others for their own personal medical decisions is nothing short of a medical apartheid. And I will not let it stand. For if I am to cowardly bend the knee here like those on the left wish, then what is to stop you all from taking your tyranny to the rest of this country that I love? How dare anyone in this institution attempt to dictate to the patriots of my staff how they may live their lives? For one to think that because they have the title honorable attached to their name means that they may dictate what others may say and think repulses me. What makes this nation special is that in this free land, the people are the royalty. So arrest us if you will, but I will not cower and I will not bend. Madam Speaker, you have come to take away our liberties. But Madam Speaker, in this country, you are outnumbered. With that, I yield back. Finding like-minded patriots who bow to no king but Jesus and who understand that courage is not the absence of fear but the trust in God's providence to overcome enemies of goodness and righteousness that only comes from Almighty God, that is the challenge of our time. Using our God-given gifts and interests to influence the next generation to understand that victory is achieved only through the faith given by our Lord who has already defeated the enemy of mankind, that is our mission. Engaging in the mountains of influence to use our divinely inspired skills and strengths to pursue the work of Christ's kingdom as long as he gives us breath, that is our purpose. And in this, God will be glorified. Because Jesus Christ has overcome the world, and because his Holy Spirit is equipping his warrior children to cast down all imaginations that raise themselves against the knowledge of our Creator Savior, we can stand like wheelchair-bound Madison Cawthorn is standing, to be overcomers, in obedience to God's command to be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, we are moving into a generation that will see God do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or even think. Psalm 94, verse 12 to 17, says something that speaks to all of our hearts today. Joyful are those who you discipline, Lord, those you teach with your instructions. You give them relief from troubled times until a pit is dug to capture the wicked. The Lord will not reject his people. He will not abandon his special possession. Judgment will again be founded on justice, and those with virtuous hearts will pursue it. Who will protect me from the wicked? Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had helped me, I would soon have settled in the silence of the grave. These are the words of an overcomer. Complete humility before God recognizing where our help comes from to overcome the enemies of God's kingdom and put every enemy under our Lord's feet. This is Dennis Peterson. Thanks for joining me today on Reclaiming Your Legacy.